Welcome to another episode of Going Back, Back, Back. Once again, this is Brian Gay with my co-host, Tom Young. Hey, Brian. We're back here on another fabulous Tuesday night here in the Chester County area. For sure all are. you listeners out there, we appreciate it. So, Brian, some headline news over the weekend. The L.A. Dodgers, they signed Shohei Otani to a record 10-year, $700 million contract. They sure did. Um, so, Otani, if you could do the quick math, that's $70 million a year. The Dodgers have to pay him that, technically, but we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> but that annual salary is to be more than eight MLB franchises over their entire roster. I would say it's more, yeah, eight, more than eight MLB franchises total payroll. So Cleveland Guardians estimated yeah. right now, assuming no more signings, sixty six point eight million. Who also have the number? They also got the number one pick in the draft with like a two percent chance or something like that. So congratulations to the Guardians and their fans. Good for Cleveland, Miami Marlins, sixty five point nine million. Which is pretty impressive with how solid of a team they have down there. Now, I think, so this was from the other day, so I think this might need to be updated, but the Kansas City Royals, they just signed Seth Lugo, like, right before we started this show. Uh, three years, $45 million, I believe I saw. So they were at $65.4 million. That would then put them above Otani. Yeah, that would get them into the 80 range. Then you got the Milwaukee Brewers at $61.6 million, the Reds at 59.9, the Pirates at was at 42.8, which is astonishing, given the talent <laughs> level they have on that team. Amazing, one uh, incredible drafting in Baltimore. Yeah, I mean, now is the time for them to spend and like get a free agent. Yeah, but they got a sounds like a pretty cheap owner down there. All the, I mean, all the teams you mentioned do. And then, last but not least, the Oakland A's with thirty eight point six million. Yeah, the soon, to, a, soon to be Las Vegas something or others. But before we do dive into the Otani discussion even further, just a preview of what we'll be talking about on tonight's show. Obviously, baseball a lot going on there with Otani. Juan Soto traded to the New York Yankees. Other free agent signings as well. Football, look back at week 14 in the NFL, and then a look ahead to week 15. And a lot of fun football. We have our sports stories from this week in history, dating through December 10th to December 16th. And then if we still have some time for all of you guys, we don't want to spend two hours talking sports, even though we could. Try to keep it to about an hour, hour 15. <laughs> we'll jump into some NBA and NHL discussion. For sure. So, Brian, I know you and I were talking about the Otani contract when it happened. We sure were. The floor is yours. What? How do you feel about it? I hate it. And it, <laughs> it's not – so the numbers, I'm not – not okay, 700 million was pretty staggering. I kind of – like the conversation was always 500 plus. I get that. I did not expect 700 even though we no, had 500 plus. that was pretty brutal. Um, when you look at it this way real quick, and then I'll give you the floor. You're fine. 35 million for the hitter, 35 million for the oh, pitcher, yeah, no, I think is what it, it kind of breaks down to. It's exactly what it breaks down to. And, I mean, for how good he is at both of his jobs on the field, I mean, it, it is fitting. I just don't I, – I, the money doesn't bother me. It's the way that they're doing this. And That's where I'm at. In my it. opinion, it's ruining baseball. I, I already had enough reason to dislike the Dodgers with bringing, having bets and then bringing, bringing in bets, bringing in Freeman – just buying top-level talent. But I, I do blame the Red Sox, though, for bets. Like, well, they could yeah. have easily extended him and chose yeah. not to. I mean, there's more. There is definitely more at play there. But I think just and now you add Otani on top. And uh, like you said, a man whose yearly salary, in theory, is more than eight different payrolls in baseball. But then it's the way they're doing this is just so ridiculous. It's so unfair to the rest of baseball. It is for it is very much legal. It's written into their CBA, uh, it's which needs to be like they need to redo that CBA. And immediately. They need to tighten it up because this is ridiculous. The man is getting, in theory, seventy million dollars a year, but he's only going to count two million towards the payroll because he's deferring six hundred and eighty million dollars of his contract till after he plays. That is so absurd. It's so, so, I mean, so ridiculous. It's good for Shohei because. 
as we know here in America, there are different tax levels for each state you live in, and California has one of the highest. So he found that loophole, and if he's not living in California at that time, he then does not get taxed as much on $68 million, Yeah, but... It's good for you, but that shouldn't be, like... Either no, way, that shouldn't be allowed. That's people it's trying to cover up. It's circumventing yeah. the CBA... And just isn't a good look for baseball, in my opinion. No, I think, and I, because I have heard the tax argument, I do get it, but like pro athletes get taxed in every state that they play in. So an MLB player is getting taxed to some extent in, you know, however many states that Major League Baseball is in, because they, most teams play every other team, most other teams throughout the year. So they are getting taxed on that front already, but it's just a BS excuse for doing something real shady, although legal is real shady. And really just totally circumvents the whole reason that the competitive baseball tax is in play. Like that's I don't know if that's what the C B T stands for off the top of my head, but in my head it's the competitive baseball tax. It's like it is, it's yes. the luxury tax in any other sport. I think it's stupid that baseball does not have a salary cap. Um, but again, even in the sports that do have salary caps, you're seeing teams learn how to circumvent it. It happens in the NFL a lot now with Especially, signing bonuses and So the NFL definitely and then I was gonna say that NHL teams really take advantage of the long term injury reserve. Um, unfortunately, because of COVID, the NHL salary cap has been stagnant for the past three seasons. So teams have really been circling their way around the salary cap. Like, yeah. The big example was Nikita Kucherov of the Tampa Bay Lightning a couple years ago. He had like a hip surgery and probably could have come back in like March to play, but was deemed not ready until the playoffs started because once the playoffs started, then the cap goes out the window and they were able to like make a trade or two and keep his $9 million off the books. Because you don't have to worry about his cap until the playoffs started. Yeah, so I don't teams know. are smart. They know what they're doing. It's smart, but like as a fan, it sucks. Like I hate to see. I was hoping, you know, I was part of the crowd that was hoping that the Otani to Toronto buzz was legitimate. I it think that stars was. need to be. It's one of the main major reasons that I don't like the NBA is because the stars all just group up and play together, and they're doing it for teams who don't mind who have <laughs> extra money. Yeah, they. Yeah, right. Uh, they don't. They're they're playing for teams that have the money. They their um, owners don't mind going into the luxury tax, and it's just like it takes away from it. Like there's you don't see guys. You like looking back and like I like we're talking baseball. Looking back in baseball history, every team had superstars at some point or another, and you don't see that anymore because the minute guys get half decent, they flee these small market teams because guys aren't willing to pay them. I have a lot of friends out in Pittsburgh who are Pirates fans and despise Bob Nutting and what's going on there in Pittsburgh because it's a very loyal fan base and they just keep getting shafted. The minute guys get decent, the minute they want decent money, they flee. I really don't know what Brian Reynolds is still doing there. Uh, yeah, I'm shocked. They signed him to an extension. Yeah, like eight, he's the first he's eight years, like $100 million or something, which is probably under his market value, to be honest. But maybe he was just happy with it. And, I mean, if someone wanted to give me eight years, $100 million to play baseball, I would. Sure. I wouldn't be mad about it. Yeah, that. overall, I don't like it. It's a super team in baseball. And, I mean, obviously, like, we're spoiled here in Philly with the signings over the past few years. Middleton and Dombrowski are not afraid to throw on money. We're one of the few franchises that truly has that the ability to do that. But all of a sudden, now, if things don't change, everyone in theory has the ability to do something like this. Now, here's a question for you. Would you say Bryce Harper kind of started this trend to an extent because he went 13 years, $330 million, compared to like eight years, $330 million? But So it's on like a totally different wavelength in terms of circumventing the cap or the luxury tax in baseball? I don't think so. I think Bryce 
is and this maybe there's a little homer bias this, but I think Bryce just wanted the security of the long term contract, knowing that he could play out his career. And even that, apparently, he's not fully satisfied. I think it's more, mainly Scott Boris. Yeah, but it's definitely Scott Boris. You're not he in wants touch. An extension. Yeah, if you're not in touch with the Philly media or baseball in general, um, there's rumors out there that Bryce Harper is looking for an extension. His contract runs through his uh, age 38 season. Yeah, he's got like eight more years on that contract at least, eight or nine years on this contract still, and they're talking extension. Like, no, thank you. Um, but I, I, it's it's different. It's the long, security of it. Again, like I said, I have no problem with Otani signing a ten-year, seven hundred million dollar contract. Good for him. And yeah, congratulations. He's arguably the greatest baseball player of all time at this already. And my issue is just the way that they're handling this because now it sounds like they're the front runners for Josh Hader and some of the other big names left on the market that they probably that realistically should not be able to afford right now. No, but because of the way that they're doing this. I mean, I can't wait to watch him win 120 games and then lose out in the division series. Get swept by the Diamondbacks again? Oh, man, I would love it. I would love it. But uh, who also actually made a pretty solid move to bolster their bolt, um, their rotation. And yeah, they brought in Eduardo, Eduardo Rodriguez. Rodriguez. Yeah, but yeah, I don't know. Overall, congrats to Shohei Otani. Screw the Dodgers and his agent and even him to some extent for doing things this way because it's a real, in my opinion, it's a real stain on the game. I agree. Um, I'm really looking forward to the beat LA chance at Citizens Bank Park next year <laughs> oh, in the NLCS. Yeah. The every get stadium. To, get to beat them and go to the World Series, hopefully. Um, that would be awesome. If not, hopefully they just get knocked out in the NLDS or maybe they're even a wild card team. But it's oh unlikely because of the Padres who, I think this is a good segue to what they've Great been segue. doing. We'll talk about the NL West for a second then get back to the Padres. The Rockies are just not a good team. They haven't been. They tried to sign some guys like Chris Bryant, but he has just been injured and not the same guy he was in Chicago. Now, my MLB The Show franchise right now is the Rockies because I picked the worst team available. I already took the Athletics to two World Series titles. Ah, that's awesome. So I'm on the to Rockies. It. Yeah. Because I picked the worst. You picked the worst team out there, and unfortunately, yeah, you try to, up there. try to make it work, right? That's of the course. fun of video games. Yeah. But the Diamondbacks, they are obviously going to be competitive. They have a great yeah. team. We're just in the World Series. Bringing back their, basically their whole starting lineup. Add in Eduardo Rodriguez and traded for Ingenio Suarez. Yeah, Ingenio Suarez is a solid pickup for them as well. Um, and then we got the Giants out there. They just signed, what was it, um, Lee from the KBO? Oh, yeah, I don't remember his name. I literally just had Jung Hooley. Um, right before we started recording here, this signing just happened too. So Just happened. A lot of stuff going on in baseball. But that brings us to the Padres. And they, unfortunately, or I shouldn't say unfortunately, um, apparently were running to some issues with paying their payroll last year at the end of the season and were taking out loans you know what to say. pay their like, staff and players and employees. So because of that, they then go and trade Juan Soto to the New York Yankees for, I think it was like four pitchers and a backup catcher. Yeah, they traded Soto Utility and infielder. Trent Grisham yes, the for starting center fielder. Some, a couple of prospects and Kyle Higashioka, yeah. who had spent 15 years in I the saw Yankees that. organization. So Michael King, I think, is like the real winner of that trade for the Padres. He yeah. had been like a multi-inning reliever for the Yankees the past couple seasons, but was a starting pitcher down the stretch and was pitching very well. And then Drew Thorpe was the other big name that the Padres got back from the Yankees in that deal. But either way, it's like the Padres, they went all in more or less the past two seasons and just didn't get anywhere. They lost. I mean, I guess you can't say anywhere because they did make it to the NLCS two years ago and lost to the Phillies. So it's a good run, but it's not 
ending in a World Series title like you're hoping for. Yeah, they just never panned out the way I think teams. It seemed like that those guys like Soto, Tatis, and Machado just weren't gelling together and someone had to go. With Soto a pending free agent at the end of this upcoming season, he was the most likely candidate. Also set to earn like 30 some million dollars in arbitration this year. Yeah, and there was a lot of conversation, I mean, around the trade deadline of Soto on the move. I know there really was come a lot to of Philly. Talk, yeah, talk here, which honestly would have been cool, don't get me wrong, but like... I don't know. Didn't care to see him here. Um, it'll be interesting to see him as uh, the Yankees are just. It's funny because I like we've talked about this. I grew up a Yankees fan. I mean, they were the the New York team. I mean, there's the Mets, but eh. yeah, who wants to be a Mets fan? No. Um, so I, I grew four hundred million and don't even make the playoffs. Yeah, even break a five hundred record. <laughs> oh God, so bad. Uh, but I grew up a Yankees fan, and but because like, as a kid, I mean, baseball fan as a kid, they're New York's team. They were awesome when we were kids. But, like, looking at it now in the past 10, 15 years, it's just, like, they're boring, and I don't know. I just – I think they they don't – guys go to New York, and they're just cookie cutter. They're not – they're the personality's not there. Like, like Philly here, you know, we have a lot of personality on this belt ball club. Oh, there definitely it's is. It's so easy to really enjoy these guys, whereas the Yankees, it's just – they're just boring. One you don't even let saw, a guy grow a beard. That's exactly what I was just about to say, is I think it was Cameron Maven just put out a tweet the other day. He's like <laughs> – yeah. From the inner circle of baseball guys, like one reason guys don't want to go to the Yankees is because like it's not the 1970s anymore, and people want to grow out a beard. Like, yeah, that can deter some guys from. I personally love my beard, Brian. Yeah, me too. I look way better with a beard. I don't need to be baby faced. No, no. I mean, like you got guys like Matt Carpenter and Brett Garner that rock a bean mustache, but like we can't all do that. Yeah, just let us grow out the beard. I look, I look like somebody that shouldn't be within your five within five hundred feet of a school with just a mustache. Yeah, not a good look. Full beard you. though, and looks pretty good. So I would not be signing with the Yankees. No, nah, you and me both. That's why. That's actually the reason I didn't sign is they just wouldn't let me have a beard. That's all. That's all it was. Yeah, I mean, I had that high nineties fastball, but the Yankees were the only team offering me the contract, so I had to turn them down because yeah, I wanted to keep the, the beard. The beard is more important. I'd rather make five figures with a uh, grow a beard than. <laughs> yeah, why well, well, I live out my dream and play baseball in the majors. <laughs> oh God. It's just but I mean, it'll be interesting because I think if Soto can fully regain his I mean, he's one of the real the best pure hitters in the game. And I, there was an interview with him that had that's been floating around where you listen to him talk about hitting and it's really fascinating to watch him really break it down like, Oh well, when it's a cutter you want to pick it up here because it's gonna move like this and you know, a slider, you got to sit on a little longer because it's going to break at the last second and usually, you know, whatever direction. And the guy was like, wow, you're really a student in the game. And he goes, no, really hitting mainly. Like like Juan admits, he's like, no, I really just study hitting. He's a fine fielder. Yeah, he's very good at hitting. Fine on the bases. Man has argued, might, might have the best eye in baseball. I mean, um, he routinely has like a 450 on base percentage because of how yeah. much he walks. Usually, I would say usually one of the league leaders in walks. Another guy... Um, who's and the thing is like when he is hitting well, great, great average uh, hitter for average and good power as well. But he's he kind of reminds me of like as much as he annoys me like at times as Schwarber, Kyle Schwarber has a great eye at the plate. Um, same with Reese Hoskins, but almost to a fault. Um, but the, Soto doesn't have as much uh, swing and miss in his no, no, no. He's he's definitely a good solid contact. His bat speed is the ball. incredible too. Silly, yeah. So he just taking those like warm up packs and he's like, all right, dude, I think you just throw out your back. Like relax. I think I would, th- I've definitely had that thought watching him more than a few times as many he swings that thing around. I'm like, dude, you're going to, you're going to hurt yourself. I would, I would have hurt myself for sure. With that short portion, right? Brian over under 50 homers for Soto. Oh, under 
I, I think, think it was over. I don't think so. I think he, I mean, how many did he have this year? Do you know? This year, I want to say he was in the mid-30s. Okay. So I was going to say, my guess is under, but I don't think like in the 40 range is like that far off. Um, let me see. I'm pulling up. I see you're pulling up stats as well, but I'm grabbing Yeah, his baseball right reference page. He hit 35 last year. All right. So I was right mid But the thing is, he's only gone over 30 twice in his career. Um, and one, one of which was his age 20 season in 2019. Um, granted he's been hurt a decent, actually it's not even really hurt that much. Like looking at his totals from, he played every game last year, 21 and 22. Like he played a lot of games and numbers look fine, but those walk numbers are crazy. That's where he really gets you. Um, but yeah, I think, I think 40, 40 to 45 is a pretty real realistic number. If he can continue with the bat of the ball the way he did this year, so I know like the few the couple years before that he kind of slid a bit. I mean, looking at it here, uh, two thirty six, two forty six, two forty two, but then like he's not that far removed from this three the season that three fifty one. Granted, um, that was the COVID year, but still three fifty one over forty seven games. That's true. Yeah. Three thirteen in twenty twenty one. I mean, real. the man has only hit over three hundred in a full season once. Um, yeah, two eighty two when he's twenty three thirteen at two ninety two at age nineteen. So I mean, like he's definitely good. I think forty home runs is within the range of possibility, especially because if they put him in front of Aaron Judge, I say if he bats can't in front of him. Judge, they're not going to be able to pitch around him. Yeah. And I think he could get to fifty playing in New York. And then I feel like Toronto is kind of a stadium breaking. He can hit a decent amount of balls out. True. Uh, yeah. Baltimore same with right field. Like left field, they extended to make it more of a pitcher's park. Fair. And then Boston has a short right field too. I feel like that's I mean you're you're more often finding the short rights over short left typically. Uh I just think yeah, if they put it if they t- take advantage of him and put him right in front of Aaron Judge, they're gonna have to throw him the ball. And I Yeah, mean, pick your poison. Who do you want to face? The righty or the lefty? Yeah, so I don't know. I mean if he goes fifty plus, that'd be pretty wild, especially, you know, because the guy next to him in the outfield has of very much the potential to do the same every year. Yeah, to so. go 60 plus. Yeah, and that could be interesting. I think it's that it could be something that they kind of always helped with G, oh, Giancarlo and Aaron Judge. Stanton just can't stay healthy. Um, yeah, and Cashman like said that earlier this year and like yeah. pretty much like down didn't doesn't count on Stanton to do a whole lot this upcoming season. Nobody does at this point. I mean, he hasn't he hasn't been healthy in since he was Mike. Yeah, Mike Stan. Wow. <laughs> There's a throwback for you. Back yeah. when he played for the Florida Marlins, not the Miami Marlins. Yeah, for those of you that aren't fully familiar with the saga of Giancarlo Stanton, he was Mike up until, I don't know when he... Uh, I would say like 2018, 2019 yeah. maybe. Which, hey, like, uh, good for you. Like, If it is your name, that's cool. But like, we all know you. Everyone knows you as... You must forget about that he preferred to go by Mike. Because you're just like so accustomed to saying Giancarlo at this point. He also forget that he was like an MVP because he's just been so not a whole lot. I mean, he was an All Star in 2022, but like I don't know. I just feel it's like a shame because like he was a very talented ball player. Still is. I mean, yeah, career wise, I believe. I mean, he's what year 13 in the league. He's got 400 home runs. That's, he's no slouch by any means. It's just he's kind of fallen off a bit. Uh, so what is he, he 34? 34. Yep, 34. So maybe you get a couple of years left of... I say maybe he gets to 500. Part-time. Yeah. He could, but 
I don't know, man. I think it comes down to just avail. Like we say all the time, availability is the is your best, best ability. ability, and that's his problem right now. So I think that is a good segue into Aaron Nola. Resigns with the Phillies has been one of the most durable pitchers in baseball for going on five plus years now. I'm Maybe very much here for it. I would have, as much as like he irritates me at times, I would have been pretty disappointed to see him pitching anywhere else, especially where the rumors were coming up. Like the Braves apparently were really interested in him. Or the Cardinals. Like I didn't want to see him go no, to either, yeah. either team. No, but the Braves would have been like a knife in the back. Um, that would have really sucked. That was probably his agent just putting that out there. This way he can Puff force the that. Phillies' hand. But a honestly, bit. the contract came back. I was happy. More with reasonable it. than I anticipated. Uh, what seven years, one hundred seventy-two million or something like that. That's right. Five somewhere. Yep. One hundred seventy-two. Yeah, one seventy-two. I mean, like all things considered, it's not my money in the end. I mean, I guess it kind of is based on ticket prices, but I, um, I think it was a good contract, and for the level to which he pitches and the amount he is out there, he's worth them all that money, in my opinion. He just needs to cut his hair. He looks like an idiot with this uh, mop top. He's got yeah. That on. press conference did not look good for. No, Aaron. he looks like a wet poodle. <laughs> not a good look for your Aaron. <laughs> no. Listening. So ha- so happy for the guy. I uh, my big thing. My, one of my big things with him is just more like just a personal gripe. Is he just never seems like he's enjoying himself. There's never any emotion besides like he kind of looks like he's about to poop his pants. But like also cold, like ice cold at the same time, and yeah, ice in the veins. Yeah, and it's just like just show some emotion. I want to see you strike a guy out and like just at least like pump your fist. Even give me a little, give me a little, uh, a little yeah. I think, I think he was kind of showing it um, at the end of this season, yeah, the playoff run, like tipping his cap to the, to the yeah. Fans. But even even doing that, he just like meh. Just yeah, like come just on, like Aaron, walking, show like, some personality. Didn't like, smile or anything. Just yeah. uh, tip. Maybe the cap. we're just maybe we're just spoiled that our guys are like. So energy, like so enthusiastic and outgoing, but like he just yeah. I, mean, I just want to see a little more like passion. Harper, it's like yeah, totally two different ends of the spectrum. Yeah. Well, because even Zach Wheeler has a stoic demeanor to him, but like the intensity feels there. Yeah, I like I don't. Aaron doesn't come off as he seems like that southern like guy that's just like chill though. Yeah, like kind of odd, like awkwardly laid back in a way. But he's, I mean, I love I love the guy. I'm happy he's back. Um, when my adding a Nola jersey to my my collection because at this point if he stays with the phillies throughout the course of that whole contract he is potentially going to go down like as the number one pitcher in phillies history at he's least like record cl- book wise pretty close to most of those records at this point and i mean it's just him and carlton at this point yeah and cole hamels is up there as well true um, true christy matthewson i believe is up in that category as well but as far as recent, different time definitely a different time as far as like re-signing Aaron Nola, though, it made the most sense financially for the Phillies. If you for don't, sure. so ju- let's just go down the path of not signing Aaron Nola. Say you replace him with Blake Snell, you then owe the Padres a um, compensatory pick because he received a qualifying yeah, offer. A qualifying offer, or you okay. do the same thing with a Sonny Gray or a Jordan Montgomery. You got to send those teams qualifying offers because of it. You're then losing a draft pick. You then can't have a potential young talent come up to supplement supplement. These higher salaries and Harper, Turner, I mean, JT and Castellanos, Schwarber should all be off the team within the next couple of years when those guys yeah. reach it. But, like, you also have to think about re-signing Zach Wheeler at this point. I mean, you could have went the Yamamoto route, which I would have been ecstatic about. Very cool. Yeah, it would have been in. very cool. But, honestly, let's just go the Yamamoto route anyway. 
Just bring him in, sign him to a two hundred million dollar contract, and pay him two million dollars a year, and defer the other money. <laughs> yeah, let's take yeah, a dude, playbook take right a million and a half dollars a year. Well, you, you less taxes here in Pennsylvania than you'll get in California. I mean, maybe not a whole lot, but definitely less than California. Um, it would be really cool. I just I think if they missed out on Nola, and even though even if the Nola contract, the thing is the way he pitches, I think will age just fine because he doesn't rely on velocity. Yeah, he's not a ninety-seven to no. one hundred mile an hour pitcher. No. Movement and deception is the name of the game for Aaron Nola. Yeah, and so I think his that'll age fine in that respect. And even if he does, I mean, they never will. He's going to be a starter. He's going to be in this rotation till he's late into his thirties. Yeah, it becomes your four or five starter. Yeah, at the end of the day. So I, I think it'll age better than some of these other ones. Like Sonny Gray is more money per year. He's I, also been injury prone too. Yeah, yeah. So I just you know, of the options that were truly on the market. Nola was the one I wanted the most. One, obviously, the familiarity, but two, I just think he brings the most to the table. I know Snell just won the Cy Young, but I don't. Yeah, I did not want Blake Snell. I'd rather take Aaron Nola, who you know you can get six, seven innings out of at least every five days, than Blake Snell, who you might get four innings one day, might get seven the next day. He's going to walk everybody. And, you know, just not that. Like, Nola's not, not, not coming to Nola's a bastion of consistency but i don't know i just think for what what was available i'm happy with where we're at adding yamamoto would be a real fat layer of icing on that cake though it sure wouldn't i i think so he's 25 and he would fit in perfectly with the phillies timeline like win now potential ace and his underlying stuff with all of his pitches it just seems like it's off the charts and the fact that he's available at this age I would give him an eight-year contract for like two hundred fifty million. Just give him the money, and I wouldn't even like blink about was it. Was it him? It was it the conversation about him where though where he was hoping for additional Japanese players within the organization because I don't think we have any. The one we might have had, I think we traded away. Yeah, I'm not aware of any at the moment in the Phillies organization. We had the prospect How you Lee. Obviously, he's not. That's not Japanese. Yeah, he was but, in the uh, Michael Lorenzen trade. He sure was, which looked like an amazing trade <laughs> off the bat. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Either way, if Dombrowski's willing to, if Milton was willing to pay it, Dombrowski go back, for it. Back that truck up because if nothing else, Yamamoto gets butts and seats because people would be fascinated by him. I mean, I would also like to see. I mean, I don't think they're going to do it at this point. Dombrowski's pretty much said it acquiring another starting pitcher like that. I think the only way it could happen, I mean, a Corbin Burns type would be awesome. Shane Bieber I'm not really interested in. He had like an he had arm issues at the end of last year. Tyler Glass now is reportedly available with the Rays. He's also just injury prone and like he's awesome when he's healthy, but he just can't stay healthy. Issue. Which is the issue and he's set to earn like thirty million this year, which isn't much for the <laughs> Phillies. They could obviously take on that contract. But that's a pretty fat stack for a guy that you're not sure he'll be on the mound. Yeah, I mean, I think in a trade like that, Taiwan Walker would have to go back to the Rays. Which I'd be totally okay with fine, that. Fine, yeah. Send them like another prospect and call it a day. But the one person I would really love to see the Phillies grab, Mike Trout. Bring him home, baby. I don't agree with you on that at all. I just don't think he's I don't think he's worth the money or the, well, see, the here's value the thing. that he'd be. It's not like we would not have to give up that much. I mean yeah. The Angels would eat a good amount of the contract. I think Castellanos would be going back to LA in that scenario just to clear up, kind of like make the money work. Sure. And then you're probably sending like a Mick Abel and like another prospect along with it. Yeah, I just don't know if he's worth it. 
in my opinion, like obviously he's an amazing player, but if he can, I know it's a big if. If he can stay healthy, last year was kind of like a freak injury though with the hamate bone or in your wrist that he just but like dude, swung doesn't and he hurt have it. like a history of these like freakish type like random, the other one was like really a calf injuries. strain that kept him out for a while. Got some back issues. I mean, he hasn't played a full season probably since what like twenty nineteen, twenty sixteen. Ooh, sixteen even worse. And that was one hundred fifty nine games. He, played, he did play one hundred and forty in twenty eighteen and one hundred thirty four in twenty nineteen. So it's not like he was totally out. Yeah, missing about 30 games. But he played 119 year. games in 22, but then Probably 53 in, in 20, 36 in 21, and 82 last year. How many in 2020? 53. So, okay, I mean, I guess so that's the full. Yeah, you missed seven games. Basically the full COVID season, but that might as well just not even be on the books. Um, and we've been looking at his, his stats. Oh, he did hit 40 home runs last year. I forgot about that. Or in 2022, that is. Um, I don't know, man. I think at the right price, it would be very fun to have him here. I because just, then you can have like a Marsh Rojas in center field, Trout in left, and then, I mean, I I guess you could go back to Harper and right, and then why not just resign Reese while we're at it, have him at first base. Screw it. Well, we're diving way too in the weeds on the Phillies right now for the fact that it's early December. I think we can def we'll definitely get back into this here shortly, uh, especially with you know the winter meetings having just passed. Um, there's definitely more baseball to talk. There always is. We always have baseball to talk about. But I feel like we really got to start. We really got to touch on the NFL. Um, we I have know, not. We kind of breezed by it a few times. So what I think what we'll do real quick, um, we'll just take a quick break here. Hear a quick word from our sponsors. Top up on these delicious beers that we are consuming this evening. Hey, we'll talk about these on the back from break. Yeah. These are, whoo, watch out. Industrial Arts Brewing Company coming hey, Dale, in. No the, power tools. With the heat. So well, we're going to hear a quick word from our sponsors. We'll get back to you here in just a minute. This episode of Going Back, Back, Back is brought to you by Rucci Heating and Cooling LLC, located in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania. For all of your heating, air conditioning, and plumbing needs, call the professionals today at 484-849-1015. Rucci Heating and Cooling LLC, the one-stop call for your business and or home. Call them again at 484-849-1015. And we are back. Tom, we mentioned these, uh, we've had a number of beers over the course of this podcast. And some have been good, some have been bad. This one, I, I, I personally will put on the very good side. I'm very much enjoying this. Uh, what is it again? You picked them up on the way. It is the Industrial Arts Brewing Company. They're power tools. It's a West Coast IPA. Um, gets you at a 7.1 alcohol volume content. Um, Bold and Evergreen have on here. <laughs> It is delicious. It's a sweet can. I mean, I was partial to it because I just moved into the house and be doing work on it. Yeah, we're Not recording me our personally, but recording our first uh, first episode in in Tom's new home. So um, I was like, oh, power tools that works out. I was a big fan of Step Brothers when they're the scenes going on and uh, Papa Dobak's in the back room. Hey, Dale, no power tools. God. It's my toothbrush. <laughs> All right, we're done. Oh man! So it drew it to me. I mean, I've been like we we've talked about this, Brian through the episodes here we've been leaning more towards the west coast ipa yeah compared to that hazy new england style don't get me wrong the hazy new england style is still very good but it just sits so heavy so it's too heavy i got tacos waiting for me when i get home i don't want to be full of uh yeah you don't need to be three pounds in on (laughs) a new england hazy ipa and not have room for delicious tacos yeah this one is from industrial arts brewing company not so i know we tend to say try to stay relatively local but you know it's Never heard of venture out, so they are in Beacon, New York. Uh, it's the Dutchess County area, Hudson Valley. 
Um, really, so su- that's just right past New York City, north of New York City, somewhere. I don't know that part of New York at all. People, uh, people ask me the questions about New York City. I'm like, dude, it's like a whole different world. It's it was six and a half hour drive from where I grew up. Still New York, obviously, but New hold, York's a big state, whole different world down there. So you know, it is what it is. But I highly recommend it if you can find it in your local yeah, distributor. Pick it up. They're pretty well distributed, at least in the PA, New York, New Jersey area. I've seen it in a number of uh distributors uh and stores they have a couple of different options too this is i I don't think i've tried this one but i've seen some other ones from them latch i believe is one as well that one's actually pretty good uh pretty solid beer so shout out to industrial arts brewing company um really cool beers so tom football there has been some really interesting football going on um this week uh as it seems to be every week there's just it comes there's questionable officiating I mean, I don't know if questionable is right calling every game. I think questionable is probably fitting. Yeah, it's pretty bad. I mean, these guys are not being held accountable for awful, awful calls. Um, you know, I know I didn't watch a ton of the Eagles game this week. Um, I was kind I watched of most of it coming back yeah. down from the rush of the Bills game, but it sounds like it was pretty rough. And I, you know, I think you mentioned that you have a uh, you have some feelings about the way that Eagles game went. Yeah, where do I want to start? So I don't know. For someone that's not a super big Eagles fan, the fact that you have an Eagles rant, something's up. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's been a shellacking the past two weeks as, as an Eagles fan. Um, you uh, lose, you get absolutely boat raced by the 49ers in week 13, just like at home too. Like They were talking so much smack coming into that game, and they just come out and like totally disrespected you, and you just laid down and took it. Like, yeah. That was should have happened like was embarrassing, like losing forty two to nineteen like that. That's a throttling. Yeah, yeah. And the Niners they scored on like six. They scored touchdowns on six straight possessions. Yeah, made like, Brock Purdy look like the MVP candidate. Everyone's the only time to be. they didn't score a touchdown in the second half was when they decided to kneel the ball and not score anymore. <laughs> oh, that's brutal. So that kind of tells you how that game brutal. Went. But jump ahead. It's your. I understand. It's been the toughest stretch of games at this point for the Philadelphia Eagles. They're in that awful six-game gauntlet that they have right now. It started with the game at home against the Cowboys. Then you have your bye week. You go on the road to the Chiefs, get the Bills at home, 49ers at home, go on the road to Dallas, and then this upcoming Monday they will have the Seahawks in Seattle. So, yeah, it's just an absolutely brutal six-game stretch there. You start off 3-0. You beat the Cowboys. You beat the Chiefs in Kansas City. We discussed it last episode. Snuck their way out of a few of those games. They should. They did. They they should arguably have probably five losses right now yeah i mean and that leads to point number one they have way too many turnovers they turn the ball over too much you're not going to win many games when you constantly lose a turnover battle amen there was a fumble by aj brown a fumble by jalen hurts and then a fumble by Devontae smith arguably your three most important players on offense when that happens, you're not going to win games. Oh, and Jalen Hurts fumbles hurt because I know you guys really got burned on that with the Super Bowl last year. That was painful. Yeah, the Super Bowl that I mean that swung the game. I'm gonna I'm gonna rub this in a little bit. I get a little bit of joy off out of. I like I do cheer for the Eagles, but I also do enjoy watching them lose because the whole city of Philadelphia melts down as if the season is over, and it, I think it's hilarious. It I mean it's like if you t- t- uh, tune in to like ninety four one. I don't listen to 97.5, so I can't really speak to their callers and the hosts on that show, but 94.1, it seems like the world's coming down, and oh my <laughs> God, the Eagles just lost the game. It's yeah, like, yeah. it's crazy. It's, you guys I, have been so spoiled with really good teams the past few years. I get it's a now 17-game schedule compared to 16, what it used to be, but it's like, let's just breathe a second. If I told you at the beginning of the season, 
that the Eagles would be 10 and 3 after 13 games. I think everybody was said sign me up. And yeah, especially with no the concerns with the it. schedule they have. It was like he said this. They've been in a bit of a gauntlet the past few weeks and I mean I feel your pain in that cuz the Bills were part of that gauntlet. We also had the Chiefs and then we we have the Cowboys next week. Um so we're we're in there with you. I I understand you got that. Got the pain. Cowboys at home though. So that's helpful. Yeah, I think the Bills are going to take it to them. Josh Allen's never lost to the Cowboys and I don't think it starts next week, but I that's another story. Um, I just don't think that Dallas is going to be ready to play cold uh, football. And Josh Allen plays his best football in December. Yeah, I mean, Wyoming guy, so he knows what he's, what that weather's like. I love that kid. Still so, my MVP vote. That never changed. I might have been down on the Bills. Josh Allen is still my MVP vote because the Bills would be four and four and nine probably if he it, at best if he was not on this team because they he's carried this team some of those plays he made against the Chiefs sorry I hijacked your Eagles rant you're good uh, we can go a back. Lock, let's go back to the Eagles I'll talk about the Bills yeah I have later. a segue here at the end here that'll bring us to the <laughs> I Bills know, you did mention that before we started <laughs> so because of this stretch to me the team just looks like absolutely spent especially the yeah. defense like, yeah they do they've gone three and two like I mentioned it seems though that that's just eventually caught up to them as it as it should and then they're actually going to get an extra day of rest before headed to Seattle for Monday night. That's tough, though, to go cross-country. I would have just went out there after the game Sunday. Like, why come back and be then there. Yeah. hang out in Seattle for the week? Now, if they come out flat again, like to me, they're just going to be done for the season. Like, I don't see any way they're coming back. Yeah, they get the Giants, Cardinals, Giants to end it for their final three, but the Giants, they look better. They've won three in a hey, row. Hey, Tommy DeVito out here. Yeah, he's balling. God. Daniel Jones who? Yeah, Tommy DeVito's family was out tailgating before the game. Kind of weird. Did you see his agent? His agent is an Italian-American like stereotype. It's hilarious. Uh, but his family was out tailgating before the game, handing out chicken cutlets to the uh, the fans. How doesn't get much more Italian-American than that, Tommy? We got to go get DeVito. ourselves some cutlets at the at the game when they play in Philly. Hey, I gladly will. I think I love good stories like him, and he is a fun story. So I'm all for it. The Giants are no threat in my in my opinion to anybody, but like. No, the Eagles. He makes them more fun to watch. Definitely win the game at home because they play at home versus the Giants, Cardinals, and then like hopefully that week eighteen game doesn't mean a whole lot. And I kind of like hope rest. that Tommy DeVito dog walks the Eagles, but it's not going to happen. <laughs> that would happen. be an incredible story. <laughs> That's not going to happen. But like, <sighs> so the Eagles. I mean, Grant, the year they did win the Super Bowl, they looked awful a couple games before the playoffs started, heading into it because just of like get in. Carson Wentz got hurt. They. We're trying to run the same offense with Nick Foles, and it clearly wasn't working. So they then pivoted and were able to adapt the offense to Nick Foles, and they went and won the Super Bowl. Now, they sure did. That was a freaking fun season. Even as a non-Eagles fan, that was a lot of fun. It was. Now, this brings me to Jalen Hurts. So I don't know. Like We were talking about Nola earlier being stoic. Same with Zach Wheeler. Jalen has that same type of like mentality. But it just seems like he's always disinterested more than anything. To a fault, him on yeah, the sideline. Yes. Like I don't know if like we're just getting the wrong picture of him, and like he's already like oh, showed that emotion man. because like when you see when you saw Tom Brady, they would always show him like freaking out or like showed like the replay of him freaking out. A lot of lot of a lot emotion. of emotion out of him. Yeah. But Jalen, like, there's not showing emotion and being even kill. And trust me, I get that. Like that's my personality. Yeah. Yeah. Of the <laughs> talking about this conversation, the even kill is and calm as tom emotion and loud and angry that's probably me not probably definitely <laughs> definitely the two of us now the first time i really noticed this though was a couple weeks ago against the against the bills brian when jake elliott hit that field that's goal what i was gonna say overtime. when he hit the field goal so they go to him yeah. on the tv broadcast and like he doesn't even crack a smile dude like, i would have been going nuts if i yeah like, like give me a fist pump like 
even if it's just like a stoic fist pump, you're like, all right, like we have just a chance that we can go to this overtime. This is the, the, the Aaron Nola. This is the Aaron Nola to me. Yes, just give me something. But he's just like sitting there, like looking up, like in a daze almost. It's like, man, like I get you want to be stoic and like you're always just like in the moment, like not trying to get too far ahead, mm-hmm. too up, too down. But like, how, ah, it just like bothers me almost. I, it's interesting you say that because on my commute this morning, I was listening to. I, I was listening to the fanatic for some reason. And like I mentioned, Angelo Cataldi was on the Philly sports legend, uh, sports talk legend. And they actually, somebody brought up the Eagles and Jalen hurts and how he's just like, like, yeah, we had another Jalen press conference and I just knew going into it. It was just going to be some kind of calm, calm, even like there's just no um, true emotion behind it. So you're not alone in feeling this way. It's just like, it's just generic stoicism. Like, just like, there's not any, the pa- there doesn't seem to be passion behind it. No, it's like, come on, man. Which I get. I mean, give it, me something. It is just a job. Maybe it's just he feels it's his. It's his job. You you want to interview me after a, a day of quoting insurance policies? I'm probably not going to give you the most exciting tidbits. But like, no. Come but like, on, man. You're playing a game. Where's the competitive juices? Where's the excitement? Like, give me just give me a little little something. Something. Now. My last point on the Eagles here, Brian, and then we will pivot to the Bills, and I'll lead sure. you into it here in a second. <laughs> so coaching for the Eagles, that's certainly starting to be a concern for me. Shane Steichen sure. was a great offensive coordinator. It seems like he's doing pretty well down in Indianapolis with the Colts. Yeah. seems like the Eagles are missing him. Jonathan Gaddon, which a lot of people were hating on uh, people at the end him. of last season. Pitchforks wanted him out of here. But he's looking much better than Sean Desai lately. So offensively, yeah. here's a stat I saw on the uh, Sunday night game. On offensive side of the ball, the Eagles only send people in motion about 30% of the time, which is the lowest in the NFL. And the reports that have been coming out and, like, all the national pundits are saying it seems like Jalen is struggling to read the defense. And teams have certainly made adjustments to, like, take away what he's done best with, like, the ride and side, they call it these days, compared to, like, the RPO. So all these other teams, they're sending people in motion, and that allows the quarterback to see if the team is in man or zone. Yes. Because if you send the guy on the left to the right and someone follows him, all right, they're in man coverage. If sure. that guy stays, they're in zone. So it's, okay, that's a key thing for Jalen to pick up right away. Now, Eric Bieniemy, the offensive coordinator for the Commanders and previously the offensive coordinator of the Chiefs, he has lit up the Eagles' defense with all the motion they do. So why are the Eagles not giving the opposing defenses that same type of treatment and motion guys more often? That's that's what boggles my mind. Yeah, it's interesting, and I don't know if this was what your planned segue was into the Bills conversation. Because well, my next topic is okay. I got one more thing, but I feel you on that aspect, and I'll dive into that when we talk when I dive into the Bills here in a second, uh, because I have very similar feelings about our offense, or at least did. But I digress. Yeah, and I digress as well because <laughs> this is something I think we can both agree on here, Brian, and that there are way too many flags in today's NFL game. Stupid amount. An absolutely ridiculous amount. At one point on Sunday night, there was 17 accepted penalties in that Eagles and Cowboys game. There are obvious holds, sure. Give them a call. But, like, just let them play a little bit on the outside, like, in the one-on-one coverage. Like, yeah. don't be so ticky-tack. Don't make no. everything a flag and a penalty. And there was a couple times it happened Sunday night where the Cowboys, like, got a big first down or even scored a touchdown. You saw the, like, the flag symbol pop up in the bottom right-hand corner of, like, your TV screen. They like would meet for a minute, the rest, and then pick it up. After further review, uh, the flag has been picked up. The ruling on the field stands. Touchdown! It's like, dude, what do we do? Yes, I feel that to my core, which is watching, and it's part of the reason I haven't been watching nearly as much football this year. Um, 
Now, I don't know if you wanted to let me, if I'm grabbing the reins here, but I can certainly yeah, do that. I think we know where we're going with yeah. the Bulls Chiefs game, Brian. <laughs> so there was quite the controversial yeah. ending, according to Patrick Mahomes. But if you look at the yeah. replay and like all He's the pictures so that have been posted, Tony he, was lined up offsides and it's not even close. And that's what, so Carl Sheffers, the, the lead official in that game, in his post-game interview, <laughs> which honestly I think referees should be required to do post-game interviews, um, because I think it'll help hold him accountable. He said, listen, like we do offer leeway with that. If it's a, if he's an inch or two offside, it's not a problem. He goes, but when he's so far offside that I can't, my yeah, line can't judge see can't ball. see the ball. It's an automatic call. And both Mahomes and Andy Reid have come out and said, yeah, that was the right call. But the way Mahomes melted down, like really brought me a lot of joy. I'm not going to lie. And uh, like the end, the ending, like eventually it came out, uh, when like him and Josh Allen met oh, at yeah. like, midfield afterwards, like, that was a something call. Worst like, effing call I've ever yeah. seen in my life. Like, dude, like, I, so I think Patrick was, because clearly he is very irritated with the fact that he has no one to throw the ball besides Travis Kelsey and teams. Are just like, <laughs> yeah, like that Kelsey offense is point. not good. Like, Rasheed Rice looks decent. Yeah. The guy I it's mentioned at the beginning of the football season, hoping that my stock was good with him and Sky Moore, just that totally fell apart. Rasheed so Rice solid. No was, was a solid one. pick, but yeah, Sky Moore hasn't panned out. I mean, he's just been... And then, like, Marquise Valdez-Scantling, he can't catch a ball. Like, that would have ended the Eagles game if he caught that ball in the end zone. Yeah, for sure. The, um, the Chiefs are just falling apart, and that's on the GM for not recognizing the fact that they don't have anyone capable to catch a ball. They traded away Tyreek Hill when they really didn't have to. Yeah. They really did not have to. And look and, what he's doing with Tua. Yeah, disgusting. They noodle-armed quarterback in uh, Miami. Which I don't I remember who made that comment, but it, I think – Tyreek made that comment at some point. It works very well though for Tyreek because he can just hit like a ten yard, five, ten yard slant and just like just go, make, make, make which is play. what Tua is great at. Like he doesn't need him a Mahomes to hit him sixty yards downfield. You sure, have a much better chance of catching a pass that's ten yards away from you compared to 60, 70 yards downfield. Yeah, dude, I uh, Tyreek Hill, I got a real bone to pick with him. Well, number one, he's just kind of a crappy person, but like number two, yeah, that's besides the fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm talking fantasy football. So he <laughs> he went out yesterday in a matchup that I needed to win to make the playoffs in one of my leagues. He went out as questionable for like two, like half the game, and then came back in the fourth. And I'm looking good. Everything's had the right direction. Shout out Jaden Reed with the Packers. Had a great game yesterday. Really got me into this. Um, and then Tyree Kill comes back and has like a 40 yard catch or something. Yeah, yeah like two like 20 yard two catches. 20 some odd catch. And that right there is like five points in fantasy football. And I just that was it. That was it. And I no longer in that I'm out of the running in that league and I'm very disappointed because it just I didn't think I was gonna make it. This team was hanging on by a thread. Justin Herbert got hurt. Uh yeah, that hurt me. Herbert, I had on two teams. Same here. Nico Collins, um, Justin Jefferson, and one of my other guys all went out for the game. Oh well, I digress. Nobody wants to hear about my fantasy football woes. Well, they Brian, just I, suck. I had uh two thousand like sixty points scored against me in the league I'm in, and I finished third in scoring. And I missed the playoffs because that's of the, brutal. The team that is second, brutal. Team who's finished second in the standings. We were separated by 15 points total for like who scored during the yeah. year. He had f- like 350 less points scored against. That's him, disgusting. Which works out. I did the math. It was like 25 points less a week over the course oh, of 14 man. weeks. That sucks. So that if sucks. I had, I would have been like, might have been undefeated. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Very well could have been with that many points scored. That's insane. Um, going back to some of your topics earlier. So the motion motion conversation is so interesting because. As an as a guy that only knows football as a fan, I never really played it. Yeah, I didn't play it either, so I don't know X's and O's. I don't know. No, like, if you said someone's coming like up like the A gap, B gap. Learning like, it because I enjoy learning that kind of stuff, but like I don't know it from an actual experienced 
uh, point of view. Like, how do you ba- like like baseball or basketball? Yeah, I played flag football in third grade. <laughs> yeah. I got nothing for you. I played one year of tackle football. Actually, I started off a uh, C team in like fourth grade or whatever. Granted, kids that young should not be playing tackle football, but that's a whole different conversation. Um, they ran us in like the Oklahoma drill, like our first day out. Oh, CTE. And good. oh yeah, dude, they lined me up against like the biggest kid on like two teams up. Um, Jesse Grisham, great athlete. Uh, he shout out Jesse for yeah, listening shout out tonight. Jesse. Um, he <laughs> got the ball and ran me over, like knocked my lights out, and I never. I went back to football one year, like six years later, played in like eighth grade. It just wasn't for me, which I kind of regret because I have the like you and we have natural size for football. Um, and I went to play, I went on to play rugby for four years in college. So clearly didn't mind hitting. Uh, I just don't want to give up the summers, uh, <laughs> for, for two a days. Well, I chose bowling over football. So ah, yes, yes. Profitable Sat- endeavor. Saturday mornings, it was football or bowling. And I was like, well, I like bowling more. Well, so. And your head is in much better shape than probably a lot of your colleagues that played football. Probably. Um, so back where this started was I never really understood motion and stuff. I do it to the point of like maybe trying to improve the matchup for that receiver or whatnot, but then when it kicked in, like why they do it to help, and a lot of times it's just to help the QB read the defense. Yeah, it goes back to Jalen. Like and, he, yeah. he seems like to be he, like he's struggling. Well, it made a lot of sense to me, and then this year though is when it really became so evident to me when you're watching these teams. Like weirdly enough, like the Commanders, they're not a good team, but that offense gets play. They made they yeah, made the Sam Howell look he really good. They made Sam Howell look like a pretty good quarterback because of getting guys open and scheming guys open. But then you watch what Mike McDaniel's doing in Miami. They are in motion every freaking play, it seems. Yeah, you wonder and, why like Tyreek Hill's open all yes. the time. And and then I would watch the Bills and under Ken Dorsey, they just they never moved. It was yeah, like, I, felt like I was watching Madden. Right now with Brian Johnson and the Eagles and Nick Sirianni. And we weren't getting anywhere. And it felt like you're just being your head against the wall because teams know that you're not switching things up there. They know you're not picking up. So then the Bills fired Ken Dorsey. And elevated Joe Brady, um, Joe Brady, who was the offensive coordinator at LSU when I believe was it Joe Burrow with Joe Burrow. Yep. And then has been a quarterback's coach in the league. He took over as the offensive coordinator. And I'm not saying it's changed everything, but the offense looks different. Like in terms of they're feeding James Cook a bit more. Oh God. Yeah. James Cook. It looks like looks great. Josh looks a lot more like himself where for like the first half of the year for how how good he's been playing. I could go on a 45 minute tangent about how the national media is treating him so unfairly for the fact that he's arguably the best player in football right now. Stay tuned for Brian solo up. <sighs> Sheesh. Yeah. Go home and bet about Josh Allen and his mistreatment for an hour. Um, but when Joe Brady took over, you're seeing more motion. You're seeing more creativity where it looked like Ken Dorsey was kind of running a Madden offense. I play Madden. I'm running slants. I'm running verticals. Throw yeah, an occasional screen in there. Double tap an X and throwing it up from a guy who yeah. catches it over the yeah. defender. Just talk, I'm just chucking bombs. But like there was not they were not mixing it up. And now that you got Brady in there, they are mixing it up. They, they scored 30 points in back to back games for the first time since like like week three. I think it was like week two through four. The Bills looked like the greatest team in football. They were scoring almost 40 points a game. They were shutting down everybody. Matt Milano goes down and he is the heart and soul of that defense. He broke his leg. And that was huge. Daquan Jones in the middle went down. That was big. Tredavious White as a, as a DB really sucked to see that because this was his first full year back since his uh, ACL. Things started happening, but the Bills, in theory, like they have the offensive talent to overcome a bad defense. And then, it, but it just, just wasn't happening. And you could watch it, and like, sure, Josh was throwing interceptions and stuff, but like a lot of it seemed to come back to just poor play calling and just not 
trying to make any differences or change the offense. Joe Brady's come in a lot more, um, a lot more motion and he's doing more with what's available to him and they look good. Josh, I'm, it's fun watching Josh again for a few weeks there. It wasn't cause he just could tell he wasn't playing his game. So it's great to have him back. Um, he's playing amazing football. Um, Brian, I could see your Bills going 4-0 to close out the season. Me here. too, buddy. And if they do, uh, with that Dolphins loss last night, they got the Dolphins one more time this year. The end the season. That could be a <laughs> game could for the division. It could literally be a division, a division game in the end. Uh, they got the Cowboys this week, and then I believe... Go to San Diego. Up, oh, at home geez. against New England. Yeah, and two games that you should win. On the road in easy, Miami to end Miami. the season. So, like, there's definitely... Like, the playoffs are definitely not out of reach. Beating Kansas City was big. People act like... They uh, granted the Travis Kelsey uh, lateral pass with the, on the offsides was ridiculous. That was awesome. And I watched it happen. I was like, just leave it. This is exactly how the Bills would lose this game because they've lost due to I had a, the Bills money line too. I was gonna feel a little jaded. That's that happened. Right. Yeah, uh, so were all of us because they lost on a um, overtime punt in on opening opening week. Head of the Jets. Uh, punt return of the Jets. They lost because they had 12 men on the field for a field goal attempt against the Broncos with no time left, and he missed it and got to re-kick it. They lost on the DeAndre Hopkins Hill Murray a couple years back. They lost the 13 seconds. Gabe Davis turned the wrong way in the end zone. Yeah, dude. There's just like they found all these awful ways to lose, and I was just like, I I just kind of laughed. I was like, honestly, it didn't. I wasn't that worried because I saw the flag thing. The flag icon pop up. Wasn't too worried. But it was just like that. Just leave it to the Bills to lose it like that. And, I mean, it just shows amazing heads up play by Travis Kelsey. I'm honestly surprised more guys don't try to do stuff like that. Apparently, um, he tries to look at that often. If he you does. Ever notice, he, like, he, oh, he, he does. He's always looking for somebody around him. He doesn't always just, like, full force, like, talk the ball in and go. No. Like, he's, he's always awesome. kind of just, I like, love, looking. I love Travis Kelsey. I hate that he plays for the Chiefs. And I hate that he's on the news story all the time with Taylor Swift. But, like, I think he's a great guy. And I think he's an amazing tight end. Um, But... Wow, yeah, here's, a, here's an incredible stat with the Bills. Looking at their um, stats here, I'm they have a point, point plus one hundred something point, point differential. differential of plus one hundred four, and they're freaking seven and six. So the Steelers, they're seven and six. They have minus forty. Colts, same record, minus sixteen. The Texans. So all these teams are at seven six. Oh yeah, no. Listing. The Bills are the first team in NFL history to be like six and six and have a plus one hundred point differential, like so as of last year. They're only behind the Ravens and Dolphins in the <laughs> AFC. I know, and twenty eight points of that point differential was over the Dolphins. The Dolphins are being carried by that seventy to twenty shellacking of the Broncos earlier in the year. So the Cowboys, they have the best point differential in the league. They're at plus one eighty eight. Niners plus one seventy five, huh. and then no one else is. Way up there. Hey, the well, hey, you know what? I, you want know to know the fun fact about both of those is that they both molly the Eagles the past two weeks. And yes, they pumped, sure did. <laughs> pumped up the stats. They, I had to throw that in there. Hey, that's fine. Um, but yeah, back to, again, your other point. Obviously, you know, we're, we are at our core of Sports History Podcast. So we'll get to that in a moment. Um, but the penalties are ridiculous. The Canarius Tony call was the right call. The Eagles-Bills game seemed like there was a lot of chintzy calls, a lot of calls that... I don't know. I'm not going to obviously agree with when they're against my team, but like it seemed to be on both sides. There was some, some really un, really just bad. It's bad officiating all around because I see a lot of people talking about it across the league. It's not just Bills fans feeling this way. It's not just Eagles fans feeling this way. It's not just the Chiefs fan. Everyone's seeing it. Yes, yeah, the NFL. Nothing's being done about it. And that's the part that's really frustrating. At least like in the MLB, they're unionized. So like you can't fire Angel Hernandez or CB Buckner as much as we want, but to. you sure as heck can put them on as few games as possible or on bad matchups. 
The NFL, every game, every game matters. Yeah, send those guys to like the Royals and Pirates series. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Angel Hernandez can spend his whole year in Pittsburgh, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but yeah, horrible officiating. The NFL needs to get a grasp on it because it's making the game really hard to watch at times, especially the, the primetime games. Just seems like there's so many flags. And right? It's just like, I, dude, the shock. It's like, oh well, there's it, another flag. No Bill, surprise there. Bills Chiefs this week. Just watching that and how it came down to like one final play. The ball went incomplete, but you're just sitting there like, instead of being pumped and be like, yeah, we stopped him. It's you're sitting there like waiting for the flag. That's how I felt at the end of the Super Bowl in 2017. Yes. With the Eagles uh, Patriots. I was like, all right, so they just threw up the Hail Mary. The ball just landed. I'm just waiting for the PI call to come out that yes. Gronkowski was somehow pushed. And now that's ball on the one yard line. And, and the Patriots crazy. have a chance of zero seconds. It's we, like, yeah, dude, it's absurd that we feel such a delayed reaction. It. And that, and it takes away from the excitement of the sport, especially in the Super Bowl. Oh my God. I know. And I'm like, yeah, we're just talking week, week, what? 14 here. Yeah. Week 14. And like, I was just sitting there. Like I like it was that excitement wasn't there when that ball went incomplete, knowing that the game is over because of that incompletion. I should have been amped, but instead I stood there waiting, and then finally it was kind of like, okay, sigh of relief, no flag. And I just turned to the Abby, and I'm like, all right, they did it. They won. It wasn't the same as excitement as it should have been, and the official needs to get their crap together. I'm not on board with it. But, again, another thing that we can just go on for about hour, on for hours about. Um, if you want, We could do it each week. Yeah, if you want hours to hear Tom and I talk, there's at least 20 hours of podcast sitting here on Spotify. Um, or and let us know if you want more. about officials, we can do another 20 yeah. hours on that, too. Listen, yeah, we certainly can. I've had a lifelong vendetta against officiating. We can definitely dive into this deep, deep history of uh, poor refereeing in the world of sports, whether it's Little League in Little Western, Honey Falls, New York, or, you know, the big leagues. Or here in Delco, like, whatever. It's yeah, fine. yeah, we both, we all have our, our problems. But, Tom... I still remember this guy squeezing me when I was 12. What the hell, man? Bro, I used to get into it with one That's specific... That's why I didn't throw a no-hitter. <laughs> Dude, her name is free. The ump, her name was Pam. We had a female umpire in my little league, and that woman just really. I think my dad would agree that he, he that she had it out for me. And that's not who my dad is as a person. But man, we just didn't. We she was button heads with like an 11, 12 year old. Granted, it's me. Come on, Pam. I've been this obnoxious since uh, twelve years old, so in two thousand five. Uh, like it's been there, but like, come on. Like I was a kid. You were a bad umpire. You lose. Uh, <laughs> I won't get into that today, though. What we will get into is the whole reason that, oh, maybe the whole reason here, but why we are called going back, 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 and that's those history stories. Again, December 10th to December 16th. And, Tom, I believe you're leading us off with our fun history facts of the day. Sure. Uh, so I'll kick us off here. We're going to go back to December 15th, 1973, going back, back, back. Tennessee Volunteers, they defeat the Temple Owls by a magnificent score of 11-6. to six. Men's basketball, 11-6. to six. Uh, so the Tennessee Volunteers, they withstood a long stall by Temple that night and won its Invitational Tournament, the Volunteer Classic. With Tennessee leading at 1.75 in the first half. Thrilling. And 11 minutes, 44 seconds to go in that half. Then Temple coach Don Casey sent his team into a stall. They then decided to keep the ball 11 minutes and 38 seconds without taking a shot. I would have walked out of the arena partway through that to be honest i would not have sat through that it's like well how do you know you're halfway through it you don't <laughs> yeah you're so yeah, you're so right like in like lot, four like, minutes in it they're just standing there dribbling the ball it's like all right guys i'm not doing this. all right motion let's run the motion offense <laughs> just yeah run like the sweet uh and then you run like the flex in it and then like someone sets the screen and then you just like 
That's <laughs> triple handoff. They just do like the sweet Georgia Brown that the Harlem Globetrotters do for 11 minutes. Oh, God. That sounds just miserable. It's like, yeah, oh, we're halfway through. We're two minutes in. How, well, how do you know you're halfway through? You got nine more minutes to go. <laughs> like, looking at it then, like, you're sitting in the stands, it's like, okay, all right, maybe they're going to shoot it. And then it's like, all right, you're four minutes in. Yeah, they're probably going to shoot it now. Now we're 10 minutes in. It's like they still haven't shot the ball. It's crazy to me that it was seven to five at halftime and ended 11 to six. Yeah, so that brings me to what Tennessee, they did not get a floor shot in the second half. They only scored oh, points by four free throws by. So they didn't make it. Uh, no layups, no jumpers, no, no. Wow. That's awful. So, yeah, that that's a great story. I mean, I would love to dive in more into that one and give you as much information as I can, but we're kind of running up against it. We're already in oh, hour into the show tonight. Oh, psh. so do I a mean, deep dive into that. We'll come back and talk about it because I'm curious as to how there wasn't a riot on their hands. Yeah. Ah, man. Could you imagine going watching a basketball game that ends 11 to 6 right now? Like, no, you go and you buy tickets beforehand. Like, you obviously don't know what's going to happen. It's not like yeah. a pre recorded, like, WWE no, well, you thing expect where at least behind 20 it. points per team. Yeah, in the first half, <laughs> yeah. in the first half alone. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's like if you sat through that whole Raiders Vikings game this week. I'm th- oh, so thankful nothing. I didn't. Three, three nothing, and it wasn't just three nothing, it was three only three points of the game were scored in the fourth quarter on a game literally to end the game, pretty much, right? Like, uh, yeah, not good. Um, could you imagine? Being a paying customer for that game, I think I remember at one point there was like be, eight straight punts, if not more. I would be riding, dude. Even the uh, the Jets Texans game, which ended, the Jets ended up scoring with like thirty points in that game. The first half, every single possession ended in a punt. But then the Jets going to score thirty points in the second half, so the Texans are not nearly as good as people thought they were. All right, so that Raiders Vikings game, we go fumble by the Raiders, then a punt by the Vikings, interception by the Raiders. Oh wait, we're starting the fourth quarter. Hold on. So starting at the top, punt, 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 all in the first quarter. Four punts. And then we bring it to the second How quarter. How exciting. A punt, a missed field goal by the Vikings, punt, punt, and then end of half. Raiders can't do anything with the ball to score. Third quarter, punt. There's a fumble by the Raiders, punt, punt, punt. Wrap up the third, move to the fourth. Punt, 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 punt. And then a 13-play, 56-yard drive that took three minutes. 13-play, 56-yard. Ended in a field goal. And then the... Raiders throw an interception on the first play of their next drive. The Vikings then went on to punt it three plays later. And after one play, I'm just probably I'm assuming like a lateral type situation with only seven seconds left on the clock. The Raiders fumbled it, the Vikings recovered, and that was your ball game, three nothing. That's just comical. That's so bad. So bad. Well, speaking of threes. Yeah, what do you got for me? Lead us into our next story. So on December this is not that far back, but Hey, we're still going back. I think it's pretty fascinating. December fourteenth, two thousand and twenty one. Steph Curry made his 2,974th three-point shot to pass Ray Allen as the NBA's greatest career three-point shooter during the Warriors' 105-96 win over the New York Knicks at Madison Square Garden. Ooh, MSG. Now the Great game, place to do it. Right? Now, the game itself is not all that exciting. I mean, it is what it is. The um, It's just a regular season game, but it's the what's amazing to me is just the Steph's ability to hit threes is just so unbelievable it literally i mean he he single-handedly changed the game of basketball it really has because even number two on the list ray allen it's all about pace and space at this point. ray allen was not the ball handler he was not the main scorer on a lot of his teams especially later in his career but he did a, had a job and it was to hit threes and he did it well steph curry is the has been the focal point of this team his whole career and he's done that as a uh playmaker and as a three-point shooter, but he just realized it made more sense for him to get really good at shooting threes than it than it did to 
um, working on anything else. So Steph Curry has made a total of, at this point, he has made 3,492 three-pointers through a total of 902 games played. Uh, like I said, number two on that list is Ray Allen with 2,973 threes made in 1,300 games. So in 398 less games, Steph Curry has hit 500 more threes. Um, Impressive. Yeah, yeah, not too bad. He, I mean, he hits him at like a 42% clip. Um, He's it, the best shooter ever. Oh, without, without question, because the next active player, and actually the third person on the list, is a man you and I both really do not like. He's got a stupid beard, and he's a piece of crap. James Harden is number three all-time in three-pointers made at 2,795. I would not have guessed James Harden, honestly. Yeah, number when three. When you said beard, I was like, okay. And yeah, you said we so don't like him. He's done it in 1,017 games. Uh, Reggie Miller is fourth on that list, 2,563s in just under 1,400 games. But honestly, like... Three-pointer wasn't as prevalent back then either. Well, no, because you look at the list of top three-point shooters of all time, like, it's all guys... Literally, it's just a who's who of guys you and I grew up watching. So if you watch basketball in the mid-2000s to early 2010s and now, um, these are all guys you would rec- recognize. Like, Jason Terry is, like, top 10 for three-pointers made all time. <laughs> Where does Larry Bird rank on this list? He doesn't. And at least That's not, what I mean. At least not top 25. He's um, arguably one of the greatest shooters of all time as well. Like he's yeah. not even there. So top twenty different top, game. Yeah, top twenty five three point shooters, and this is volume. I'm not. This is not specifically based off of like percentage, but I mean, you got guys on this list like Jamal Crawford was a perennial third man or sixth man. Yeah, sixth man. man, third man, sixth man, and he's like number like twelve on this list behind Clay Thompson, who he's <laughs> I mean, off a cliff. Yeah, falling off a cliff big time. 737 games played. Paul George is on this list, which is not that surprising. 815 games. Dirk is on the list. Uh, 1,500 games. Of all the guys on the list, actually, Vince Carter is actually the one with the most games at 1,541. Well, he played for like 21 seasons. Yeah, something ridiculous. LeBron is uh, 1,400 games. This put LeBron's stats into some serious perspective because, like, I'm not a LeBron hater at all. Like, I mean, he's a great player. I just still think I'm obnoxious. Yeah, I agree. But, but it helps when you've been playing in the league since you were 18 years old. Yeah, but I'm also like I'm looking at this list of three-point shooters, and it also has their other counting stats. Um, Dirk Dirk is on the list, so like beyond Dirk having more rebounds, LeBron has 10,000 rebounds, where the next guy is at like 8,000, and the <laughs> next guy, believe it or not, on this list at 8,725 is Jason Kidd. Um, but then you look like assists and this and that, like it really puts into perspective how freaking dominant LeBron has been. But I just think it's fascinating that a guy like Steph Curry could come in and, and in 400 less games, just completely blow this record out of the water and it demolishes like, it. Realistically, he's just going to continue to add to it. He is not really slowing down, um, too, too much. I mean, he's starting to get a little older in the grand scheme of things, but like his game is going to translate. Hey, just stand there and <laughs> shoot. Yeah. All right, Brian, a little trivia question yeah. for you. Who did the um, – what team passed on Steph Curry in the draft that year? There was like a few. Wasn't he like the – Well, so he was the pick? seventh, but a team know. picked had picks five and six and passed on him twice. Five and six? Why do I feel like I know this? It wasn't the Sixers. It was not. Um, five and six. Um, What year was he drafted? Do you know? I want to say 20, 2000, 2006, 2007, 2008, 2009, somewhere in there. I want to say 07. 07. 2009. Oh, the Timberwolves. The Timberwolves. Do you know who was, they picked? Uh, 
Yes, Johnny Flynn. That is correct. And, oh, geez, uh, Johnny Flynn and, damn. He Uh, was not a college basketball player. Came from overseas. Not a college basketball player. Came from overseas. For the Timberwolves. I don't know. Ricky Rubio. Damn. Okay. So, number one that year was Blake Griffin. Two was Hashim the Beat. Oh, gosh. Three was James Harden. Four, yep. Tyreek Evans. Five, Rubio. Six, Flynn. Seven, Steph Curry. Wow. Yeah, I do. Okay. So, I mean, obviously, I got the Timberwolves, right? And Johnny Flynn, I remember, because I'm a big Syracuse fan, yeah, especially at that guy. time. Johnny Flynn was freaking awesome for us. I'm, I'm sad he never panned out in the NBA. He played three years in the NBA. He dealt with some, He ended up having some real like, gnarly hip issue that I think sidelined him pretty much entirely at a certain point. Uh, but dude, he was awesome. Loved him at Syracuse. So like, I don't blame those guys for passing up on stuff. Yeah, man. At Davidson, it's not like it's a no, major D one program. major and also guard. You know, the Warriors saw something that I guess the first five. Also, there's like ankle concerns too early in his career, and he happened he did to like have get those weak them. ankles. Um, but also, like I mean, the game wasn't really built for him at, the, at that time, and yeah, he changed that game. So it's it's pretty amazing and. I'm a big Steph fan. I think he's, I think he's just a really good guy, and I think he's he's so much fun to watch. There was a those few years there where he just would pull up from anywhere on the court, and you thought it was going in it was pretty exciting. So yeah, it still happens to this day. I love it. I love it. So Tom, if you got another one for us, yeah, uh, we're gonna go back to 19, 1981. Uh, so Muhammad Ali, he uh, had his last boxing fight as a professional against Trevor. Uh, Burbick. So Ali was not successful in his last fight as he lost by unanimous decision over the course of 10 rounds. Um, the fight took place in the Bahamas. I mean, if you ask me, not a bad place to have a retirement fight. No, go hang out on the beach afterwards. So this event, it became known as the drama in Bahama. Prior to the fight, Ali claimed that he had been declared fit by even the best white doctors. Nevertheless, the venue for the fight uh, Nasu in the Bahamas was chosen because no American state would grant Ali a boxing license after his performance in the his previous fight with uh, Larry Holmes. So in that fight with Holmes, Ali got picked apart and eventually was um, he was picked apart in the early rounds and then eventually was put um, out because the corner threw in the white towel. They said, you've taken too much damage. We're not going to let you fight. So after the sixth round, they said, that's it. Threw that towel in. We've all seen the way Muhammad Ali has aged, so they probably made the right call. Yeah, I mean, I would say so. I don't mean that in like a dark way, but like, I mean, years of boxing clearly. Yeah, got so, unfortunately. So, um, Ali in his fight with uh, Trevor Burbick, he tried to put some combinations together early. Those proved ineffective. Um, he was even like pushed back on the ropes because like he just like clearly didn't have any more at this age and at this point in his career. So, in the fifth round, Ali landed some solid jabs and then he. Right-left combo on Burbick, but by the sixth round, Ali had tired and started getting hit even more. And by the last round, it was evident that he was completely exhausted. Sports writer Hugh McIlvaney, who witnessed the fight, wrote in his column, Burbick is this kind of lumbering, slow-arm swinger. Ali would have first embarrassed and then demolished in his dazzling prime. To see Ali lose such a moderate, to lose to such a moderate fighter in such a grubby context was like watching a king riding into permanent exile on the back of a garbage truck. The one blessing was that he was steadily exhausted rather than violently hurt by the experience. Can you imagine Ali getting mashed in his final fight? Like, the way that would stain your legacy would be pretty brutal. 
And it, I mean, it didn't seem like he got totally mashed. I think the fight against Larry Holmes no, was more yeah. of a drubbing no, I, compared I, to this fight. I'm just saying, if perfect. he had showed up with his random guy and just got molly whopped, that would have. I think the way people view Muhammad Ali would be a little bit different. Yeah. Either way, I mean, he still did not put up a good fight yeah. against Burbick. Just getting tired. I mean, at that age, like it's clearly you've taken too much of punishment <laughs> yeah. throughout your career. Yeah, it's a few like, shots. You probably should have hung it up a couple years prior. I mean, he was fighting in the '60s, from what I remember. Not that I yeah. remember. No, you're right. Years, but from what I've like learned about Muhammad Ali, who's fighting back then, and then obviously a clear advocate against the uh, Vietnam War. Cassius Clay originally becomes Muhammad Ali. Like that's a whole. Yeah. Other, that's a whole story in itself. Yeah, I mean, I don't know too much about it personally, but I know just like the bare minimums of that type of of that situation. But for Muhammad, obviously just an all-time one of the best boxers. I think heavyweight people would be like him and Mike Tyson. I don't know if you're going to put anyone else like one, two up on that like George Foreman, I think, gets into that conversation a little bit. Yeah, like on the Mount Rushmore, but I don't know if you're greatest of all time. George Foreman in front of either of those guys. Don't pay enough attention to boxing to put up an argument against anybody else. But speaking of big stories on its own, I'm going to take us back to December 13th, 2007. Oh, what do you got for me? So this is one that, I mean, it was a huge story at the time and kind of changed the face of the game. But on December 13, 2007, the Mitchell Report was publicly released listing the name of 89 Major League Baseball players that have presumably used anabolic steroids and human growth hormones. Yeah, good for them. I'm sure you remember this. I definitely do. Um, it's a lot of na- a lot of names that I remember watching as a kid and really enjoyed as a kid popped up on this list. So what was that ESPN channel <clears throat> that like they would do this type of stuff on? Was it, it wasn't ESPN News? Was it? I think so. Because you kind of got like ESPN gave you Sports Center and like the those, it was like those ESPN programs. Two, ESPN Two, and then ESPN News, ESPN Classic was out there for a while as well. But I think I think it was like outside the lines is like the show on ESPN yeah. News that they would typically yes, dude, talk about this kind of stuff. Yeah. So the notable notable players named on that list, um, the biggest of which was probably Roger Clemens, um, and Miguel Tejada was on that list as well. Mickey. So the Mitchell report for those of you not familiar, so um, a former so George Mitchell was a former Senate Majority Leader, federal prosecutor, and ex chairman of the Walt Disney Company. On March thirtieth of two thousand six, he was appointed um, by Commissioner Bud Selig to investigate the use of performance enhancing drugs in Major League Baseball. So Mitchell was appointed during a time of controversy. Uh, there was a book published in 2006 called The Game of Shadows by San Francisco, San Francisco Chronicle investigative reporters Lance Williams and Mark Fenariwada, which chronicled the alleged extensive use of performance enhancers, including multiple types of steroids and growth hormones, specifically by Barry Bonds, Gary Sheffield, and Jason Giambi. So that report, that investigative report initially came out and then uh, Selig said, hey, you know what? We got to look into this further. Appointed George Mitchell. Um, and really the appointment was made after several influential members of the U.S. Congress made negative comments about the effectiveness and honesty of Major League Baseball's drug policy. Um, yeah, quite the um, lack of a drug policy, I guess you could say. Huh, yeah, there definitely was a serious lack of a drug policy um, at the time. There was there was testing technically, but you'd get tested once a year. Uh, there was one unscheduled test throughout the year or throughout the season. Let's be honest, you probably knew when it was more or less like being scheduled to like wink, yeah. wink. Hey, we're gonna test you around the All Star break, or we're gonna test you before or after the season ends. Yeah, exactly. So there was one um, one test at a time, and the thing is, like uh, guys, I don't think really cared because if you did get popped hot. 
your first test would um, end up in a 10 day suspension unpaid, but 10 days in the grand scheme of baseball season really is not that much. Yeah. You week and a half of baseball. I miss a few games, not a big deal. Um, and so this led to a further, led to more to further scrutiny in the use of human drug, uh, human growth hormone and steroids in the game of baseball. Um, when it came to time for the report, the major league baseball players association was largely uncooperative according to Mitchell um, really that he came out, they came out, he came out saying that they effectively discouraged players from cooperating with the investigation. Um, they basically were saying that although he pledges that he will honor any player's request for confidentiality, he does not pledge because he cannot pledge that any information you provide will actually remain confidential and not be disclosed without your consent. And so in the end, confidentiality was not really a, I mean, it was a pretty major concern, but in 2003, the players association had agreed to anonymous testing um, only to find out the list of players testing positive was turned over to the government yeah. as part of the Belco. Not so anonymous. So that was the Belco scandal. Great. Um, and that was a uh, Conte was the one guy. Yeah. With that, Conte. Right? So there's a really good untold stories about that. I believe it is untold on Netflix. If you want to learn more about the Belco scandal, um, this is, I think where Barry Bonds first came to light as potential steroid user. Um, only two active players that were actually ended up being interviewed for the Mitchell report because they were willing to do so. Um, investigators approached five of them. Uh, be, because of their public statements on the issue. And Frank Thomas was actually the only one of those five players approached to uh, participate in the Mitchell report. He's actually for as big and as like beefy as that dude was never once implicated in steroid use. And he was pretty adamant. It's because he's a new man. All natural. Yeah. New genics. Uh, <laughs> you've seen those commercials. This segment brought to you by new uh, So the Mitchell report was, it had it was not without its uh, ups and downs. Um, its flaws per se. So a few people pointed out that um, George Mitchell had an affiliation as affiliation with the Red Sox. He was somehow associated with the organization at various pretty tightly involved in the Red Sox organization, and conveniently no Red Sox players ended up on this report. Although both David Ortiz and Manny Ramirez both popped hot at various points. And also, conveniently, no Milwaukee Brewers ended up on that list. And the Milwaukee Brewers at the time were owned by none other than Bud Selig, the commissioner of Major League Baseball. So and they, the plot thickens. Yeah, people are concerned that there was some um, unsavory business being done on that front. Um, but there were some big, you know, a lot of the names that came out were due to being um, clients of Kirk Radomski. He was a trainer, um, was specifically with the Giants initially. and. 53 guys were identified as having received steroids from him. Big names on that list. Looking back on it, Clemens being really the big one. Um, Lenny Dykstra was on that. He claimed Lenny Dykstra. Eric Gagne, uh, for those of you familiar with some of the great relievers of the day. L.A. Dodgers reliever. Awesome reliever at the time. Uh, David Justice and Chuck Noblock, two big names from back in the day. Paulo Duca. Um, got some HGH from there. Another Dodgers guy. Yeah, some Andy Pettit is on the list. Uh, Brian Roberts, which uh, I find interesting. I was a, I really like Brian Roberts, second baseman for the Orioles. Great contact guy and stuff. He said he did admit to using steroids once in 2003. It was a terrible decision. He claims he never did it again. But like, I'm going through his list, and it's all, oh, um, 2001, a guy by the name of, oh, different guy, different Mike Stanton. Too early for the one that we were talking about earlier. But basically, it's a who's who, basically, of, I mean. Yeah, if you're relevant in baseball, you're most likely taking steroids, and these guys got caught, and some didn't. Yeah, 
And you know there are guys, and you know, shout out to guys like the big hurt Frank Thomas who got a, got a, you know got through their careers just on pure athleticism. Ken uh, Griffey Jr. Just fascinating. Yeah, Griffey's been a big one. Um, it's just you know baseball. Obviously, it's steroids. Uh, connection with steroids has been pretty long documented at this point. Personally, as a thirty year old who grew up during the McGuire says a home run race, steroids were freaking awesome. <laughs> yeah, chicks dig the long ball. Like, yeah, chicks on. definitely dig the long ball. It was a lot of fun, but I do understand from a competitive standpoint, you don't want to see him in the game. So um, obviously, we see what happens now. A guy pops hot. You might see a 16 game. You might see a 100 game suspension. Yeah, I mean, A Rod, the most famous one for like, what was it, 213 yeah, games? Yeah, most of the season. Um, it, I mean, it maintains a guy's reputation now. You're cheating. And it's, uh, it is what it is. I, you know, I don't disagree with banning them. I think you either legalize it and allow all of them to use it That'd or you ban something. it from everybody. Can you imagine a whole juice? Oh, man, it would be a good time. But the Mitchell Report. Steroids for everybody. December 13th, 2017. So long episode today, Tom. I mean, yeah, sure. we was. had a ton to talk about. I mean, there. I feel like we could have even dove even further into yeah, a lot we of this. Yeah, we haven't touched on the NBA or NHL. I know I said at the beginning that was pending on how far we got into this episode. Not happening today, unfortunately. I don't want to talk for another hour tonight. I mean, I would talk for another hour, <laughs> but I don't think you guys are... You guys will probably just shut us off at this point. That's We're fair. Approaching, I mean, I know we... An hour 20-something. We yeah. took our little break in there. I don't know how long it is, but we've been going at it for a little bit. And we want to bring you some more fun content next week as well. So I think we're going to cut it short. Well, not cut it short. We're going to call it into this one here. Yeah, call call tonight. Per usual, guys, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We don't post a whole lot, but we do let you know when new episodes are out. Um, again, feel free to reach out. You'll get a hold of one of us directly on any of those social media channels. We do at want to hear from back you. Pod. You got it. At Going Back Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Going Back 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 Podcast on Facebook. Let us know the stories you want to hear, things you want to talk about. Hey, maybe you want to appear on the podcast. We're looking for other people who might have some uh, some knowledge in different sports that we don't know. You know, soccer or basketball, what do we do? Let us know. Feel we, free to join the show. Yeah, hop on. Bring your own microphone. It's a BYOM event. Yeah, we uh, don't have a third one for you, sorry. <laughs> but if you have one, feel free to join. We have the Roadcaster Pro. We'll be sure gladly to hook you up. We have a yeah. spot for two more mics. Yeah, check us out. Um Tell your friends, tell your mom, tell your grandma, tell your aunt, tell your uncle, maybe dad, maybe dad and grandpa better than mom and mom and grandma. But, uh, we appreciate you checking us out here for another week of going back, 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 and we will catch you next week. Tommy, got anything before we go? Yeah. Now that we're getting to the holiday season and Christmas is right around the corner, about 13 days away, depending on when you're listening but December 12th is when we're recording. Uh, got a movie quote for you tonight, Brian. Uh, you can let me know after we jump off here, if you know it. I like to smile. Smiling is my favorite. I'm pretty sure I know that one. Thanks again for checking us out. We will see you next week on Going Back, Back, Back. Peace. Bye.